Hello. Hello. We're back. Finally. In an I, actual studio this time. Yes. In I a, love this, actually. We're in a real life studio. Oh, wait. You could hear me do that. <laughs> These mics are really sensitive. I forgot. <laughs> Earlier, I could see your little your crunches from eating your chips on the, the audio visualization board because we have one of those. It's ASMR. <laughs> I'm going to hate listening to that later. But we are. We're here. We both. <laughs> is that it? That is, is that yeah. How you do it? Yeah, that's ASMR. I could be TikTok famous. You could be. You just need to get like those long nails that you like scratch a balloon with. Ugh, <laughs> some I hate pe- that. some people do it. It's awful. I know people really like those, like like the scratching of se- uh, sequins. Like, yeah. Oh, that's so that just crazy. hurts my arms because I was in dance for 18 years, and that shit scratches the fuck out of you. It makes me upset, visibly. Um, but yeah, yes. We're back. We took a hiatus, uh... To travel across Europe for six weeks. Yeah. and so we thought it would be fun for the next few episodes to do crimes and cryptids from the areas that we were in. Yeah. these countries. Which there were a lot to choose from, surprisingly. I already started on mine for Prague, on my cryptid. Uh, yeah. Oh my god, it's the funniest shit. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's like one. Mine this time this one. covers a couple of, of like different areas, but we've gone to most of them, so I was like, yeah, you know, it's all encompassing. We're here for that. And it was one I've wanted to do for a hot minute, but I'm really excited for it because it's just it, the idea of it is hilarious to me. And, yeah. I miss Europe. I miss it a lot. Yeah, I'm kind of upset that I even had to come back here. <laughs> I was ready to come back because I was ready for easy to, like, easy convenience Advil. I hate how much you have to do just to get headache oh medicine. Yeah, no wonder no one's on drugs over there. Like You go through an interview process just to get some leave. Wait till y'all hear what meth is over there. <laughs> But hey, no, you it, hop was over. it was so much fun. It was. It was um, a lot of fun. Honestly, I didn't learn that much German. I didn't. Everyone everyone spoke English. Everyone spoke English, and what was worse is because we spent the majority of well, the first four weeks for study abroad, we were in Bavaria, where they didn't speak normal German. They didn't speak what we were taught in the classroom, so the most that I got out of it was, like, some dialect phrases. And then when we went up to Kiel... Uh, it was so nice to know that I'm not stupid. I do know the language to a degree. I was like, it was some ho shit to put us over in the in Bavaria and be like, here's what if some actual German, and it end up like not being the normal, like the German that most people speak over there. <laughs> we go to like, Kiel and they shit talk to Bavarian. It's yeah, like it's like specific to that state. Yeah. So it was like, what the fuck. <laughs> But no, Munich was so much fun. I love that city. Yes. Bavaria was really cool in general. Bavaria was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. A core memory for me is definitely going to be us getting lost at 3 a.m. Yeah, and seeing the the size of a cat. Yeah. That was amazing. That was probably one of my favorite things to tell people. (laughs) Was that we got... I was drunk, I was. 
I was like half drunk, but I sobered I think up. We're still pretty. We, I think both of us were still pretty drunk because we were like wandering around, like where do we go? Yeah. <laughs> we got on one train only to find out that the next train had turned off, and it was like ah. Uh. Yeah, like I, I was. I was almost ready to just, like, figure out how to walk all the way back. Uh, yeah, same. Which I we was like, almost kind of did have to do, because we took a train, or we took a bus, but then the bus, it only stopped, like, two or three blocks away from yeah. the hotel. So, we easily, you know, what's funny is that we easily could have walked. We had a lot better luck than the other group that got separated. Everyone, just the fact that <laughs> I think what cracks me up is that everyone got lost in different sections of the city at the exact same time and none of us ran into each other when we were getting back into the hotel of which we all got into around the same time. We all just barely missed each other. Yeah, it was like It's like we all left around the same there? time but just far enough apart to where yeah. we lost each other and then everybody was on different sides of the city. Yeah, like we got back to the hotel like either right out or right before 3:30. Mm-hmm. And then the next group came in, like, a little after 3.30, and then the next group came in at, like, 3.45. Like, we were all... <laughs> we all barely missed each we, other. Like, <laughs> how do we not see each other leaving the club? Because most of us were inebriated. Most of us were extremely drunk. Yeah. I think you and I were the most sober, and that says something. I was absolutely not the most sober, because I did not eat anything that day, and I had, like... That's what I'm saying, is we were the most sober, and that says something. Because that's, like, probably some of the drunkest I've ever been. I think the only one that was truly sober was Jared. He was the only one truly sober, because he didn't drink. I guess that's our intro. Yes, that's where we were. We were in Germany for six weeks, uh... Well, all over Europe for six weeks, Germany for four weeks, and then we got back, and it has been pretty hectic, and now we are sitting down, abusing our school's beautiful sound room system for as long as we can. We each have our own mics, that's nice. Yeah. So, you want to get into it? Honestly, while we graduate, if we still both live here, we could just sneak in here. Just, we can't reserve the room. If somebody comes in like, we reserved, it'd be like, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Finessing the system. Well, okay. As as I said before, we were kind of basing some of our stuff around the places we went to. And mm-hmm. so I did um a crime this week of something that occurred in Bavaria. <sighs> Not Bavaria. Does it involve the happy Bavarian cows? Yeah. It does? I mean, they're in there. They weren't, like, the culprit or anything, but, like, they're in there. Oh, okay. cows in there. Okay, please continue, then. Okay. As long as the cows aren't the ones getting murdered. So, have you ever heard of the Hinterkaifeck murders? I have not. Neither have I. I don't know many murders outside of America. America was where I based them all. Well, Germany, I've heard a lot from Germany, and they have some insane shit going on. The farm at Hinterkaifeck, this particular farm, was built around 1863. And it was owned by the Gruber family, which included farmer Andreas, his wife Kitzelia, their adult daughter, Victoria, and her two children, seven-year-old Ketzelia, named after her grandmother, and two-year-old Yosef. Mm. 
and they also had a maid named Maria Baumgartner. I got all of this information from grunge.com and Wikipedia, by the way. Oh my god, there's seven pages of this? We'll go fast. <laughs> I didn't realize how much I wrote. This, like, okay, so this murder has never been solved. It's okay, I have seven pages of my cryptid, so... Oh, great. We'll figure this out. Well... We'll figure it out in editing, it's fine. So, so this is an unsolved crime. <gasps> unsolved. So, so, just like as a prelude, six months prior to the attack, the family maid had quit, and um, it was widely claimed that her reason for leaving was that she had heard strange noises in the attic, and she believed the farm to be haunted. Oh, please don't tell me this is a squatter case. Well, I just told you it's unsolved, so they don't know. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say there was evidence of someone living upstairs, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> just listen, just listen. Okay, okay. Andreas Gruber found a strange newspaper from Munich on the property in March 1922, and he could not remember buying it and initially believed that the postman had lost the newspaper. But this was not the case, however, because no one in the vicinity had subscribed to that particular paper. And just days before the murder, Gruber told neighbors that he discovered tracks in the fresh snow that led from the forest to a broken door lock in the farm's machine room. And late during that night, um, the family heard footsteps in the attic, but Gruber found no one when he went to go search the building. And although he told several people about these alleged observations he was experiencing, he refused to accept any help, and um, the details went unreported to the police. And, oh no, I just scrolled wrong. Okay. Um, and according to a school friend of the seven-year-old, Katsila Gabriel, the young girl reported that her mother, Victoria, had fled the farm the night before the act after a violent quarrel and only hours later had been found in the forest. Alive or dead? She was alive. This was, oh, okay. this was like a few days before, um, what was it? Before the, the, the iconic canonical like, murder. Yeah, like okay. before the actual murder, Celia was telling a girl in her class that her mother had left the farm that night and after, like, there was a quarrel in the family or something, and mm -hmm. she wasn't found till hours later in the forest. Oh, okay. So on March, on the afternoon of uh, March 31st, 1922, on a Friday, the new maid, Maria Baumgartner, arrived at the farm. This wasn't the maid that, like, quit and left. This was the brand new maid. And Maria's sister had escorted her there and left the farm after a short stay and uh, Maria's sister said what Maria's sister was most likely the very last person to see any of the family alive. Mm. And it appears like late that evening that she left, Victoria Gabriel, Ketzelia, and the parents, Andreas and Ketzelia, were lured to the family barn through the stable where they were murdered one at a time. The perpetrator or perpetrators used a mattock, which is like a giant pickaxe. Um, that was belonging to the family farm and killed the whole family with blows to the head. Ooh, ah. The perpetrator then moved into the living quarters where, with the same uh, mattock, he killed Yosef, who was sleeping his bassinet, and Baumgartner, who was in her bedchamber. On April 1st, coffee sellers Hans Chirovsky and Edward uh, Chirovsky arrived in Hinterkaifik to take an order. But no one responded to the knocks on the door and the window, so they walked around the yard but didn't find anyone. 
They noticed that a gate to the machine house was open before they decided to leave, but they didn't go check it. For the next few days at school, Cadelia Gabriel was um, absent with no excuse, and the family failed to show up for Sunday worship, which they weren't uh, particularly popular in their um, they weren't particularly popular in their town, but that was still very unlike of them. Assembler Albert Hofner went to Hinterkaifeck on 4th of April to repair the engine of the food chopper. And he said that he hadn't seen the family the entire time and he didn't hear anything but the noises of the farm animals and the dog inside the barn. Um, after waiting for like an hour, he decided to start his repair, which he completed in roughly four and a half hours while they like weren't, he didn't see anyone, so he just repaired the machine. And around 3.30 p.m. that day, Lorenz Schlittenbauer uh, sent his son Johann, who was 16, and stepson Josef, 9, to Hinterkaifeck to see if they could make contact with the family. And here's what followed. Ooh. Uh, it's the bludgeoning to the head with a what is essentially a pickaxe, right? Yeah, it's like, a, a, you've, you might have seen them if you've ever been on a farm. They're like... They're usually used for, like, kind of digging in the ground, kind of like um, a makeshift plow, but you wouldn't really uh. plow with it. So they're, like, gigantic pickaxes. Oh, what they okay. Like. That's, ooh. Because they have... And if they were killed one by one, like, they had to watch that. Ugh. And then yeah. they killed the baby in the bassinet. What was the reason? What was the point? What's he going to do? It gets worse. Oh, good. And I will... I'll, I'll describe them right now. <clears throat> All right, let me hear it. Okay. So when the boys reported that they didn't see anyone, Schlittenbauer headed to the farm himself that same day with uh, Mikhail Pool and Jakob Zico. Entering the barn, they found the bodies of Andreas Gruber, his wife, um, Victoria, and the granddaughter, Ketzelia, all murdered in the barn. And shortly after, when they went into the house, they found the chambermaid, Maria, and the youngest family member, Victoria's son, Joseph, murdered in the home. Uh, the elder, Ketzelia, had her skull cracked from multiple blows to the head, as well as uh, having signs of strangulation. And Andreas had, had blood, like, caked all over his face. And they described the way it looked as, like, his face was shredded. And his cheekbones were sticking out of his flesh. Mm. Uh, the daughter, Victoria, had her skull completely shattered with signs that her face had been hit with a blunt object. And uh, young, the seven-year-old, Kitsilia, had her jaw shattered and her face and neck were covered with slashing wounds. The bodies in the farm were found covered in hay like they were trying to like, kind of hide them. Um, while Marie and Yosef were found inside the farmhouse, they were covered with sheets and a dress. And, uh, the two of them had died fairly quickly with numbers of blows to the head and face as well. So, going on to the investigation, mm -hmm. Inspector, um, George Reingruber and his department investigated the killings. So the brutal nature of the murder suggested that someone with a grudge against one or more of the family members was uh, the culprit. And the initial f investigations were hampered by the number of people who had interacted with the crime scene. 
um, they moved bodies and items around, and some some of them even cooked and eaten meals in the kitchen. Ew. Yeah, like they kind of fucked that up. It was the nineteen. It was the eighteen hundreds. So, but still. Hey, 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 Jim, you want a sandwich? I know there's a rotting corpse upstairs, but, like, they got some good mayonnaise still. Yeah, right? What? Um, Ew. The day after the discovery of the bodies, court physician Johann Baptist Almuller uh, performed autopsies on the bodies in the barn. Like, they didn't take them anywhere sterile. They just did it in the barn. Ew. Yeah. Um, and they were hidden in the hay, so that didn't help. At yeah. all. Sure, they picked up a bunch of weird shit with that. Yeah. Um, so, it, it's the evidence showed that most of the members of the Gruber family died pretty um, instantaneous, except for the seven-year-old. Um, the evidence showed that for the young Ketzelia, uh she'd been alive for several hours after the assault, where she had it, she had torn her hair out in tufts while like lying in the straw. So like she had like hair was, like in her hands and on the hay when they found her body. Like I said, that the murder weapon was a mattock, but the the murder weapon itself was not found on the scene. And the skulls of the victims were actually removed and sent to Munich for further examination. And, funny enough, uh, they had a clairvoyance employed to seek out metaphysical clues from the Gruber family skulls. Uh, they found nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, shout out for trying, though. I, you know what, I actually was not expecting them to actually employ clairvoyance like that. Like, this is Germany in the 1800s. Yeah. But shout out to them for trying. Yeah. Police first suspected the motive be robbery, but as they, well, police first suspected the motive to be robbery, so they interrogated traveling craftsmen, vagrants, and uh, several inhabitants from surrounding villages, but they found a large amount of money um, in the house while they were searching, so they abandoned the theory of robbery. It was clear that the perpetrators had remained at the farm for several days. Someone had fed the cattle, the happy, the happy Bavarian cows. Mm-hmm. Priority. Someone fed, yeah, someone fed the happy Bavarian cows. Good. Um, Not good, because probably the same person who murdered them, but... Yeah. Um, and they had eaten the entire supply of bread from the kitchen and recently cut meat from the pantry. Uh, there was really no clear motive to be taken from the crime scene, so police started to formulate a list of suspects. Other than rage? Because that's a hell of a rage killing. I mean, they fucked up the crime scene. There was no yeah. evidence to be found. There was no evidence to be found, but, like, just... You you walk in and you see these people bludgeoned. Yeah. It's like, that's overkill and a half. Like... Yeah. Ooh. Definitely. Let's go through the suspects. They get wild. So let's start off strong with Carl Gabriel. Mm. He was the husband of Victoria, but had reportedly been killed in... Um, Eras, France, by a shell attack in December 1914 during the First World War. Although he had reportedly been killed, his body was actually never recovered. So after the murders, people began to speculate on whether he had actually died in the war. Mm. 
Victoria Gabriel had given birth to Yosef in her husband's absence, and it was rumored that Yosef was actually the son of Victoria and her father, Andreas, who had a well-known um, incestuous relationship documented in court and known in the village. Ugh. Yeah, he had been raping his daughter, and the town convicted them both of incest. Both? Yeah. And he was the one raping her? Yeah. What the fuck, 19th century? <laughs> what? That's the 20th century. 20th century. What the fuck, 20th century? Um, and, let's see. So, after the end of the Second World War, war captors from the Schrobenhausen region were released prematurely from Soviet captivity. Uh, they claimed that they'd been sent home by a German-speaking Soviet officer who claimed to be the murderer of Hinter Kaifek. Which, like, how would they even know what hinder? like, they don't get... That's what I'm like wondering. That. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I'm like, what, that would be more local. It wouldn't be national, if that was even a thing. Well, not during a war, at least. Yeah. Um, some of the men, though, later revised their statements, and so that diminished their credibility. But many theorize that the Soviet might have been Carl Gabriel, because those who claim to have seen the man after his reported death testified that he actually wanted to go to Russia. We have Lorenz uh, Schlittenbauer, who shortly after his the death of his first wife in 1918, he was believed to have had a relationship with Victoria and actually fathered Yosef instead. Uh, he came under suspicion by locals early in investigation because it, um, he had several suspicious actions immediately after the discovery of the bodies. Like, um... When him and his friends arrived to investigate, they had to break a gate to enter the barn because all the doors were locked. But immediately after finding the four bodies, Schlittenbauer apparently unlocked the front door with a key and suspiciously entered the house alone. Um, a key to the house had gone missing several days before the murders, though it is still possible that Schlittenbauer, as a neighbor and potential lover of Victoria's, he might have just been given the key. And when asked by his companions why he had gone into the house alone when it was unclear if the murderer might still be there, Schlittenbauer allegedly stated that he went to look for his son, Josef. Regardless of any of the above rumor, though, it's known that Schlittenbauer had disturbed the bodies at the scene, which potentially compromised the investigation. And for many years after, local suspicion remained on him because of his strange comments, which were seen as indicating knowledge of details that only the killer would recall. There was one instance where a local teacher, Hans uh, Eblager, discovered Schlittenbauer visiting the remains of the demolished Hinterkaifeck in 1925. Um, and whenever he was asked why he was there, Schlittenbauer stated that the perpetrator's attempt to bury the family's remains in the barn had been hindered by the frozen ground. And um, that, was, that comment was seen as immediate evidence or intimate knowledge of the conditions of the ground at the time of the murders but again this is a farming community and he may have just been making an educated guess as someone who's familiar with the area yeah um another speculation was that schlittenbauer murdered the family after victoria demanded financial support for joseph for yosef and before his death in 1941 
Schuldenbauer conducted and won several civil claims for slander against persons who described him as the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. He sued them. I mean, it's slander. It is. Are those all the suspects? No. There's more? Yeah. There's like three more. Give them to me. So, the, uh, the next ones are the Gump brothers. Oh. Adolf Gump was listed as a suspect as early as April 9th due to his connections to the Freikorps Oberlohn, which um, the Freikorps Oberlohn uh, is a voluntary par- paramilitary organization that in the early years of the Weimar Republic fought against communists and Polish insurgents. In 1951, prosecutor, prosecutor Andreas Popp investigated the brothers uh, Adolf and Anton Gump in relation to the murders at Hinterkaifeck. Uh, their sister, Presentia Mayer, claimed on her deathbed that Adolf and Anton had actually committed the murders. And as a result, Anton Gump was remanded to police custody, but Adolf had already died in 1944. After a short time, uh, Anton was actually dismissed again, and in 1954, the case against him was finally discontinued because he could not be proven to have participated in the crime at all. Carl S. and Andreas S. In 1971, a woman named Teresa T. wrote a letter citing an event in her youth. At the age of 12, she witnessed her mother receiving a visit from the mother of the brothers, Carl and Andreas, and the woman claimed that her sons from Saddleberg were the two murderers of Hinterkaifeck. The mother said Andreas regretted that he lost his penknife in the course of the conversation. Which was interesting because the farm was demolished. It was interesting. This was interesting because the farm was actually demolished in 1923, a year after the murders. And a pocket knife actually was found that could not be clearly assigned to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um... However, the knife could have easily belonged to one of the murder victims, and um, the, this track was followed without results. Uh, Kresens Rieger, uh, the former maid of Hinterkaifeck, was certain that she had, um, she was the maid that quit beforehand. She was certain that she had already seen the penknife in the yard during her service, which, shitty maid if you didn't pick that up from the yard. Yeah. It's like you just see a knife on the ground. There's not, like, two kids yeah, running around or anything. <laughs> yeah, actually it is. <laughs> there's not, it's not like there's a seven-year-old and a baby running around that could do something bad with that. Just leave it there. It's fine. They'll figure it out. Natural selection, I guess. I mean, this was in the 1920s. Yes. So. They didn't care. They were starving. Like, it was... They were. <laughs> this is the Fireman Republic. They were hungry. Yeah. It was not a great um, time. So, the next suspect is Peter Weber. He was named a suspect by Josef Betz. The two worked together in the winter of 1919 and 1920 as laborers, and they shared a chamber. And according to Betz, Weber spoke of a remote farm called Hinterkaifeck. Weber knew that... Uh, only an old couple lived there with their single daughter and her two children. And it's likely that he knew about the, sus- the incest between Gruber and his daughter. 
Betts testified in a hearing that Weber had suggested killing the old man to get the family's money. And when Betts did not respond to the offer, Weber stopped talking about it. Um, there's still some more. There's the Beechler brothers and uh, George Siegel. The former maid, um, Frau Rieger, uh, worked from November 1920 to September 1921 at Hinterkaifeck, and she suspected the brothers Anton and Carl Beechler to have committed the murders. Anton had helped with the potato car Anton had helped with the potato harvest at Hinterkaifeck and knew the premises pretty well. And uh, she also said that Beechler talked to her often about the Gruber and Gabriel family. Anton report reportedly suggested that the family ought to be dead. Mm. She also emphasized in her interrogation that the farm dog who barked at everyone never barked at Anton and barks could never be heard the night of the murder. This one kind of weirds me out. She reported speaking with a stranger through her window at night, and she believed that it was Carl Beechler, the brother of Anton. Um, why is she talking to a stranger outside her window? Also, why is that not freaking you out? Yeah. Why are you talking to a stranger? Why are you not freaking out? And why are you like, oh, I'm pretty sure that it's this one guy, but I didn't get a good look at him. Like, what? No, yeah, like, what? You're already risking yourself by talking to him out the window. Stick your head out. Find out who it is. Yeah, like, it's, that was such a weird detail to me. I was like, why were you not alerted <laughs> by this? Lean over, slap your husband, be like, dude, there's somebody outside the well, window. the maid. The maid. Okay. Um, Still, like... Yeah. Don't talk to strangers outside of windows. So she thought that Anton and Carl uh, could have committed the murder together with George Siegel, um, who had worked at Hinterkaifeck and knew of the family fortune as well. Mm. Supposedly, Siegel had broken into the home on November 1920 and stolen a number of items, though he denied it. He did state that he had carved the handle of the murder weapon when he was working at Hinterkaifeck and knew that the tool would have been kept in the barn passage. Now we have the, the, the Thaler brothers. The Thaler brothers. So the Thaler brothers were also suspected, according to a statement by the former maid, again. The brothers had committed several minor burglaries in the area before, and um, the maid said that Thaler stood at her window at night and asked her questions about the family, but she gave no answer. Again, why are you talking to strange men through your window in a secluded farm area? <laughs> It's just, why is this, like, this is two now that that it's yeah. like, I talked to this weird guy outside my window. I don't know that who it was. That makes me suspect her. Uh, yeah, like, like it, you're bringing her up enough. I'm like, it was the maid. Like, it's like the Lizzie Borden shit where it's like, it was the maid. Like, like, she, it, it just sounds like she's t saying that all these people are talking to her through the window. And she's not freaked out by that. Yeah, she's like, oh, yeah, it's just everybody does that here. I think she would... We just talk like to people was... outside of outside of our windows, yeah, obviously. Like, like, what are you talking it about? It's like she was making a plan with them, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's so weird. But, like, in the conversation, Joseph Thaler claimed to know which family member was sleeping in which room and stated that they had a lot of money. A lot and of money. During their conversation... Rieger noted that there was another person nearby, which, again, why 
Are you speaking to people through the window of a secluded farmhouse? And the fact that it's it's not alerting the your employers. (laughs) This is okay. So that's three now, right? There's three strangers she's talked to outside of the window. Talk to one person, but they're nearby. There's there's three people out in the middle of a secluded farmland. Like you know that the nearest you know that the nearest house or the nearest village is like easily a couple of miles away, because it's farms, and you just like there's these random people out here, and you're like, and you can hear them. And you're talking to them, and they're talking to you. About the family? About the family. (laughs) That's not raising red flags for you, even if it is the 1900s. This isn't, like... Yeah, like, it's... You're not like, hmm, sus. So weird. I hate it. (laughs) But, uh, so... And according to her statement, Yosef and the stranger had looked at the machine house and turned their eyes upwards to it. That's weird. She's a bad witness. She is. It's like one of those people that it's like, well, I think it could have hit him, but like, I don't know. I think it, it could have also, like, yeah. That's where this is like, leading I to have me. Nothing else to base it off of, but it sounds like it's the I'm basing it off of like trigger. process of elimination. You're like, possibly it's the dead husband. And I'm like, but why would he kill his own kids unless he had like a battle injury that, like, you know, something. Like crabgrass well, syndrome or something like that. These are not uncommon. Yeah, they're not. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's possible. Second one, I was like, eh, okay. Third one, I was like, okay, still a little bit reasonable, but why would he kill his own son? And then it's just like as we've gone down, it's seeming I more mean, and more like the maid. A whole family is not reasonable in the slightest. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not, but I'm saying, like, if you go through the process of elimination for, like, suspects, it's like, what, what's the most logical in yeah. terms of what would work best with, like, what we've been given? Yeah. And it's just leading back to the maid at this point. Well, let's, let's talk about our very last suspect. Okay. a lot, but this is our last one. Is this the one that you're, that is, like, the most possible? Or, or, or is it just, like, I another mean, weird one? Like all of them are pretty possible. They are. I'm, um, I'm calling, I'm putting money on the maid, though. This one is actually, it's a kind of a reach, but kind of not. Mm-hmm. So author Bill James, in his book, uh, The Man from the Train, alleges that a man known as Paul Mueller may have been responsible for the murders. Mueller was the only suspect in the 1897 murder of a Massachusetts family and James believed that Mueller killed dozens of victims based on research in American newspaper archives. The Hinterkaifeck murders bear some similarities to Mueller's suspected crimes in the United States, including the slaughter of an entire family in their isolated home, the use of a blunt edge of a farm tool as a weapon, um, and the apparent absence of robbery as a motive. James suspects that Mueller, uh, who is described as a German immigrant in contemporary media, might have departed the U.S. for his homeland after private investigators and journalists began to notice and publicize patterns in family murders across state lines following the brazen 1912 murder of two families in a single night in Colorado Springs. A similar family murder weeks after that happened uh, a few hundred miles away in Kansas. Uh-huh. And Mueller, so Mueller was a suspected serial killer, and uh, they were, he was suspected to have fled back to Germany after um, his murders had been publicized. 
and to possibly commit the same murders in Germany. There's some inconsistencies with some of the stuff, with some of the theories. Um, the inspection record of court commission uh, noted that the victims were probably drawn to the barn by restlessness in the stable, um, resulting in noises from the animals. But a later attempt was revealed that uh, at least human screams from the barn could not be heard in the living room or in the living area. I want to know how they tested so, that. Did somebody go stand in the barn and scream just to see if they yeah. could hear it? Oh, okay. So, like, that would make it kind of unlikely that they even heard the animals making noises. Mm -hmm. um, on the night after the crime, uh, three days before the, mur the bodies were discovered, artisan uh, Mikhail Pluko happened to pass by the farm, and he observed that the oven had been heated by someone. That person had actually approached him with a lantern and blinded him, uh, where he hastily continued on his way. Um, he also noticed that the smoke from the fireplace had a disgusting smell, and this instance was not investigated, and there were no investigations conducted to determine what, had, what might have been burnt that night in the oven. It's cannibalism. Well, I don't think any, like, meat from the bodies was missing. No. Because so, you didn't mention it, and I feel like if there was, they would have said something about it. I hope. But. Well, I mean, you did say that some of the meat was taken. Maybe, like, I don't know, maybe it went rancid or something. Or they, maybe? I don't I'm not really sure. I don't know. Um, on the 1st of April at 3 a.m., a farmer and butcher, Simon um, Reislander, on the way home uh, near Brunnen, saw two unknown figures at the edge of the forest. And when the strangers saw him, they turned around so that their faces couldn't be seen. And when he heard of the murders in Hinterkaifeck, he thought it was possible that those strangers might have been involved. And in the middle of May 1927, a stranger was said to have stopped a resident of Weidhofen at midnight. And he asked him questions about the murder and then shouted that he was the murderer before running into the woods. The stranger was never identified. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I just... I'm the murderer! Takes off into the woods. Yeah, like... The stranger was never identified. <laughs> That's just funny to murderer? me. What is murderer? Ich bin der Mörder. I'm so weird. So, this one is, I, I don't believe this one at all. It's, it really doesn't make much sense. But the rumors arose around the village that Andreas had fathered his grandson and, you know, through incestuous relationship with his daughter, and that he had killed the whole family before turning the mattock on himself. But none of the family's wounds were self-inflicted, like not even his, so the theory was dismissed. I don't think that's even a plausible theory, because mm -mm. it, it takes a lot of uh, want to, like, bash yourself in with a fucking mattock. Like, the human mind won't even let us bite ourselves through our flesh. Our teeth are fully capable of doing it, but our brain stops us. Yeah. I don't think you can take a, a massive pickaxe straight to your skull. And get and be okay. Unless, like, there's something wrong, like he had mad cow disease or something. I don't know. I don't think that was really. No. Yeah, that's not plausible to me. Um, 
<clears throat> and also my cow disease is very hard to get. <laughs> so, I said earlier that the Maddox wasn't found on the crime scene, but about a year, maybe a little less, after the murders had happened, the farm was demolished, and there was actually additional evidence found, including the Maddox had actually been found in, hidden in the attic, and then there was that penknife in the hay in the barn. The Grubers were laid to rest in a nearby cemetery, uh, but without their heads, which were lost during the chaos of World War II. That is dark. And despite repeated arrests, no murder has ever been found, and the files were closed in 1955. The last interrogations took place in 1986, however, before the criminal Haut Commissar, the police commissioner, basically, uh, Conrad Mueller had retired. Today, there's monuments where near where the farm used to be, memorializing the victims. A series of articles by Josef Ludwig Hedwer, Hecker in the Schrobenhausener Zeitung, the, it's a newspaper, revived interest in the murders before. There's a documentary film, Hinterkaifig, Symbol des Unheimlichen, made in 1981, uh, but I, I looked it up and I can't find it anywhere in the U.S. Mm. Ten years later, in 1991, there was a play, a play called Deutschland's Geheimnisposter Mordfall. It was produced, and at the same time, Kurt K. Heber produced another documentary shot on location and shown on televisions and local cinemas. Also in 1991, radio station Funkhaus Ingolstadt aired a documentary Hinterkaifig auf den Spuren eines Mörders and the Abendzeitung from Munich ran a series of articles called Die Sechs Toten vom Einoldhof, The Six Dead from Einoldhof. In 2007, 15 students of the police academy in Furstenfeldbruck examined the case using modern criminal investigation techniques and their final report confirmed the meticulousness of the investigation at the time lacked in professional forensics. Like, no shit, they literally made lunch in the kitchen. Yeah. In particular, they criticized the failure to take fingerprints, which was already common practice at that time. And although it's almost certain that the murder or murderers can no longer be identified, all authors of that report independently agreed on who the main suspect in the case was. However, that name was never mentioned in consideration for his descendants. So it will never be released to the public. And that is the Hinterkaifik murders. That's heavy shit. Right? That was insane. It is. The fact that they made a play, art really does come out of trauma, huh? It reminds me of, um, maybe it was one of the Paul Mueller murders. The, the farm murders in the U.S., that have never been solved. Like, like there was a really freaky one. I'll have to find it. I think I watched a documentary on that. I think I know what you're talking about. I think there was a there was a series on some like, streaming channel that went over like yeah, one episode per farm, and I don't remember which one it is. I forgot the name of it, but it was a really freaky murder. Mm. But yeah, that was that's my murder. That's your criminal. Hinterkaifig. Wild. That's heavy shit. Yeah. It was insane. I was... Yeah. I just... Every time we go over criminals, there's always at some point, it feels like, 
I know it's not true, but there's always at least one point where it's like, well, if they had done better at the t- at the point of the crime scene immediately following the murders, then it would have been better. They would have figured it out, and it's like, ugh. Yeah, I don't know if they would have figured it out on this one. Probably not. I mean, most of the suspects were kind of, I mean, they were likely, but... They were all over the place, unlikely. too. Yeah. Jeez. I still stand by it was the maid. Mm-hmm. I think it was the maid. I think she partnered up with someone. Probably. That's why she's talking to all those people at her window. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't know what else you're doing talking to people out the window. Yeah. Unless this is some, like, Shakespeare shit happening. Mm-hmm. Wait, most Shakespeare's end in tragedy. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> okay. Are we ready to get into mine, then? So. Because I miss Germany and Europe, I, like dove super deep into to European cryptids. And they have a lot of cool ones that I'm looking forward to covering on next episodes. Uh, a lot were corn-based. Corn? Corn-based. Don't know what that's about. Uh, that doesn't apply today, though, because I will be going over the changeling. Oh, so, I've heard of the changeling. Yeah? What do you already know about them? Um, there's a movie about them. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're a type of character in D&D, too. Yeah, they are, aren't they? They are. They're actually, they're a lot of fun to play. If you play D&D and you listen to this 10 out of 10, I recommend playing a changeling at least once. So. You know, in my, my current campaign, I'm a wizard, but I have never once cast a spell in my campaign. <laughs> <laughs> in Critical Role. Like, I've never cast a spell or used a potion or anything. In Critical Role, in the second campaign, Laura Bailey's character, she was a cleric that refused to heal. And it's the funniest <laughs> thing so, you've heard of changelings. Mm-hmm. You know there's a movie, you know there's a D&D type. So, a changeling, also known as an elf or an oaf, is a human-like creature found in folklore throughout oh. Europe. Oaf? Oof. Oof. <laughs> yes, precisely. Uh, found throughout Europe and in some countries outside of Europe, such as America, Africa, and parts of Asia. In the United Kingdom, which is the more commonly known version of a changeling. A changing a changeling was believed to be a fairy that had been left in place of a human, typically a child, stolen by other fairies, and this is the most widely recognized. So like Peter Pan? Yeah. A little tradesy switch at birth. Generally a changeling is identifiable by a number of traits. Uh depends where what origin you're coming off of. In Irish legend, a fairy child may appear sickly and will not grow in size like a normal child, and may have notable physical characteristics such as a beard or long teeth. Ew. The changelings were also known to have huge appetites, far more than that of a, of a human child. <laughs> they may also display intelligence far beyond their apparent years, as well as possess uncanny insight. A common way that changelings could identify itself, though, is through displaying unusual behavior when it thinks it's alone, such as jumping about, dancing, or playing an instrument. Uh, though this last example is usually only found in Irish and Scottish um, legend. You mean a child dancing around and singing is... That's, that's strange behavior, apparently. A child. So generally, a lot of traits for changelings line up with uh, what we now know are traits of autism spectrum disorder. Uh, for example... Children believed to be changelings throughout basically most of European culture often had trouble with eye contact, wouldn't respond to their names, had odd habits they wouldn't change, and strange, floating quotation marks, strange reactions to, like, emotions and sensories. 
uh, and had obsessive behavior. Uh, but like all cryptids and legend that are multicultural, parentage and interpretations vary. So let's get into that. So I'm going to start out with, in Nordic traditional belief, it was believed that it was trolls or beings from the subterranean realms that exchanged children. It was supposedly more ideal to be raised by humans. <laughs> Since most of the supernatural beings of Scandinavian folklore are said to be afraid of iron, Scandinavian parents would often place an iron tool such as a pair of scissors or a knife on top of the cradle of an unbaptized infant to prevent it from being abducted by trolls. I'm a troll. It was believed that if a human child were still taken in spite of such measures, the parents could force the return of a child by treating the changeling cruelly, such as whipping or even inserting it into a heated oven. Wait, they put babies in the oven? Yeah, and I'll get into that a little bit more later. <laughs> um, I, was, I was still thinking about like the <laughs> trolls. I love trolls. When you said oven, I was... Yeah, that's how they they, they would cakes. be they would beat them and put them into an oven to see if they were a changeling or not. So does this have anything to do with the Hansel and Gretel story? It served as inspiration in Germany actually. Oh did it? Yeah. Ah. So in one Swedish tale, uh, the human mother is advised to brutalize the changeling and it's boar in Swedish it's called boar bortbith. Ting. I'm probably butchering that. I'm so sorry to anybody who knows Swedish. Uh, so that the trolls will return her son. But she refuses, unable to mistreat an innocent child despite knowing its nature. When her husband demands she abandons the changeling, she refuses, and then he leaves her. Oh. <laughs> Whereupon he meets their son in the forest, wandering, wandering free. The son explains that since his mother had never been cruel to the changeling, the troll mother had never been cruel to him. So when she sacrificed what was dearest to her, her husband, they had realized that they had no power over her and released him. So just be nice to your kids. Yeah. So That's why the Swedes are ahead of us right now. This is. So in Germany... The changeling is referred to as a Wechselkind, Wechselwag, Dickkopf, or Kielkopf. Possible parentages of such changelings were considered to be a female dwarf, the devil, a water spirit, or a Rogenmume, which is a fiery demon of the corn. Germans went hard when it came to identifying and ridding themselves of the changeling. Uh, several methods known in Germany to identify a changeling and return the replaced real child was Confuse the changeling by cooking or brewing with eggshells because this will force the changeling to speak, claiming its real age, revealing its position beyond synchronicity, uh, attempting to heat the changeling in an oven. Trial by fire, am I right? I'm confused what eggs have to do with changelings. In which, do they hatch from it? No, but eggshells are commonly, within witchcraft, are considered to be a protection. So when people need to cast protection spells or they need to ward off evil. Like yeah, you would think so. But, like, within witchcraft, like, eggshells are considered a massive, like, this is a big thing for protection. It's also a big thing for calcium. Add it to your tea. It sounds like a metaphor still. <laughs> like, it sounds like someone was just like, oh, this eggshell keeps my yolk protected. I wonder what else it could do. I wonder what else it can protect. That's probably how it started. A lot of pagan beliefs. Well, it, like, yeah, it honestly, I'm... sometimes it comes back to metaphors. <laughs> like, it sounds like that with a lot of that stuff. It does. Um, oh, also, 
in line with, you know, trial by fire, uh, they also were on with the Swedes and believed in hitting or whipping the changeling to get it to reveal itself. So... Uh, this, this is why we have wars. <laughs> so in Ireland, which is... Most people know the Irish version of a changeling, so I'm going to get into it just a teeny bit more. In Ireland, looking at a baby with envy or looking over the babe was dangerous as it endangered the baby who was then in the fairy's power. So, so being, cute babies are a no-go. Yeah. They can't, you can't be too admiring or envious of them. Why and because then you look like you're the fairy that's about to switch them out. So people would think that you're a fairy. That's what it says. Being too admiring or envying of a woman or man was dangerous because they thought you were the fairy. (laughs) (laughs) So in Ireland, babies weren't the only thing that were at risk of getting switched out. It was also women, Uh, especially if they were a new mother or or a brand new bride, if they were a newlywed. I forgot the word for newlywed for a second there. So again, with the fire, a way of finding out if it was a changeling or not is they would put the changeling in a fire because it would cause it to jump up the chimney and return the human child. I don't understand that. There is at least one tale that recounts a mother with a changeling finding that a fairy woman came into her home with a human child saying the other fairies had done the exchange and she wanted her own baby back. So she just showed up and she was like, I don't want this. Can you have it back? Why would they switch out their children in the first place? Like the the fairies? I will get into that. Okay. Yes. There's a, there's a few reasons. Yeah, there is. They, they have a few. Do they make any sense? One does. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited to hear that one. <laughs> so, the tale of surprising a changeling into speech by burning eggshells is also told in Ireland, as is in Wales. Various legends describe other ways to foil a would-be fairy kidnapper. One was to shout, I bless you, in Gaelic, which would cause the fairy to abandon the child it was, child it was trying to steal. Another possible tactic was to insert oneself into an argument over who would keep the child. Shout out, give it to me, would trick the fairy into releasing the child back into the human. How does that trick the fairy? And that's what I was wondering. I was like, are you, they just like don't want to deal with your bad. argumentativeness. <laughs> it sounds like they're just doing what you asked. Uh, changelings in some instances also were regarded not as substituted fairy children, but as instead old fairies brought to the human world so they could die. <laughs> I like that one. It's a nursing home for for fairies. Yeah, yeah pretty much. That's what an old soul is, actually. So... In Asturias, which is northern Spain, there's a legend about the Zana, a sort of nymph who used to live near rivers, fountains, and lakes, sometimes helping travelers on their journeys. The Zana, I think it's Zana, were conceived as little female fairies with supernatural beauty. They could deliver babies, Zaninos, that were sometimes swapped with human babies. The legend says that in order to distinguish a Zanino from a human baby, some pots and eggshells should be put close to the fireplace. A Zanino would say, I was born 100 years ago, and since then I have not seen so many eggshells near the fire and disappear. Will you ever get your baby back? (laughs) Apparently not. You just don't get your kid back at that point. In Wales, the changeling child initially resembles the human child that it was switched with, but would gradually grow uglier in appearance and behavior. 
ill-featured, malformed, ill-tempered, given to screaming and biting, it may be of less than usual intelligence, but may equally well be identifiable on account of its more than childlike wisdom and cunning. That sounds like a toddler. Yeah. In Poland, Boginki, or Mamuna, is known to be a Slavic spirit that keeps exchanging human babies in the cradle. The changelings <laughs> that the Mamuna planted in place of the human children are known for their distinct appearance, with unusually long or small heads, excessively large abdomens, thin legs and arms, a hump, long claws, and a hairy body. The changelings' first teeth would also appear earlier in comparison to normal human teeth, just in case you were questionable if that was a human or not. Uh, um, when do babies usually get their teeth? Do you know? I have no idea. I don't know anything about kids. I, <laughs> I don't either. A disclaimer also, um, I said something about cute babies. There are no cute babies. I just want to make that a disclaimer. <laughs> I think every newborn is ugly. So, in regions of northern England and lowland Scotland, it was believed that elves lived in elf hills or fairy hills, also fairies were tossed in there, along with this belief in supernatural beings was this view that they could spirit away children and even adults and take them back to their own world called Elfheim. Nice. Shout out to Holly Black and the Cruel Prince series. Often, it was thought a baby would be snatched and replaced with a simulation of the baby. Just like, here, have an AI. <laughs> Usually a male adult elf. I find awful about that. Usually a male adult elf. The real baby would be treated well by the elves and would grow up to be one of them, whereas the changeling baby would be discontented and wearisome. Many herbs, salves, and seeds could be used for discovering the fairy folk and ward off their designs. I could not find which ones they were. It was also believed that in order to force a changeling to reveal itself, it either must be surprised into speech or made to laugh. So, despite the numerous interpre interpretations, one thing was unanimous. Uh, having a changeling in the family was an ill omen, a sign of death, ruin, and doom for the whole family. Oh, I think it'd be kind of cool to have, like, a pet elf running around. <laughs> right? That's what I was like. That wouldn't be an ill omen. That's a new dog. Yeah, like... <laughs> Like, if you're ever hungry, just ask them to go make a little fairy ring, and you got some mushrooms. You got the mushroom soup. As per the legend, human children were continually at risk of being abducted by fairies in order to strengthen their power. It was also believed that in order to get back the original child, it was essential to torture the changeling or to make it laugh. Also, children were not the only victims. Like I said, the fairies, the fairies or trolls are... The furries. The furries. <laughs> The furries. Oh, God. The, the fairies or trolls or whatever would also take adults, usually women. So why did they change them out? Answering your question. Mm -hmm. I would like to know. So in medieval Scandinavia, <laughs> it was believed that trolls considered it more respectable to be raised by humans than their own kind and would take the opportunity to give their own children to a human upbringing if they could. Some believe that trolls would only take unbaptized children since once a child had been baptized and therefore received the Christian protection, the trolls were powerless to abduct it. Beauty in human children and young women, particularly traits which evoke brightness or reflectivity, are also said to attract fairies as they want these traits in their offspring. So that's why they would take women. In okay. Scottish folklore, <laughs> yeah, you would have been, they would have taken you for your hair because <laughs> you have pretty hair. Oh, they liked red hair? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. 
they liked it was like blonde and blue and silver was what I saw pop up the most but there were a couple ones that also said red so oh, red God. blonde blue hair silver eyes oh God, and I have the green eyes yeah you do <laughs> maybe I'm a changeling I always knew I was depressed <laughs> In Scottish folklore, the children might be replacements for fairy children to the tith in hell. This is best known from the Ballad of Tamlin, which a human lad was taken by fairies and held basically hostage as a sacrifice so the fairies didn't have to sacrifice one of their owns in the centennial tith. Uh, I highly suggest watching Overly Sarcastic's production cover of the ballad on YouTube. It's fun, uh, and it's it has a complicated but happy ending, but it's, like, okay. weird. I won't get into that because we have a lot to cover. Other folklore says that human milk... This is the most common. Other folklore says that human milk is necessary for fairy children to survive, yes. such as the before Zana. That's why they would do it, is because they needed human mother milk. Yeah. Uh, and in these cases, either the newborn human child would be switched with the baby, with the baby to be suckled by the human mother, or the human mother would be taken back to the fairy world to breastfeed the fairy babies. Ew. It is also thought that the human that human midwives were necessary to bring fairy babies into the world. Some stories tell of changelings who forget that they are not human and proceed to live a human life. Changelings who do not forget, however, in some stories return to their fairy family, possibly leaving the human family without warning. The human child that was taken often stays with the fairy family forever. Feeling connected to the fate of a changeling, there are families who merely turn their changelings loose into the wilderness. They just leave their kids out oh and are like, God. find your way back. Some folklorists believe that fairies were memories of inhabitants of various regions in Europe who had been driven into hiding by invaders. They held that changelings had actually occurred the hiding people will exchange their own sickly children for healthy children of the occupying invader. So they would switch out their kids, their sick and starving kids, to these families mm -hmm. so that they could get healthy. And then they would hang on to the healthy baby. And in a lot of cases, they exchanged them simply for the sake of ensuing chaos. Huh. So Interesting. The origins of the changeling myths. Mm -hmm. Folklorists and historians studying the tales have identified two theories that shed light on the possible origin mm -hmm. of, of this cryptid and myth. And I say, I call it a cryptid. Technically, it's a myth, but it's also a cryptid because there are still accounts of it happening. Mm -hmm. And one of the theories states that the stories of the changelings could be the supernatural reinterpretations of real occurrences. These may have occurred during raids where villages may have sought to save their children by substituting them for those who brought bought, brought by the invaders. So I'm gonna, they would like switch out. They would switch out their kids. Parties, kids. Yeah, with their own. Huh. So that when they pillaged and eventually got around, they're all fucking kids. Yeah, they're killing their oh own kids, God. and their kids would oh, survive. Fuck. According to the second theory, changeling tales may have arisen from infants born with birth defects, as I said before. Oh, and like people don't want to admit that. Yeah, or they just yeah. they didn't understand them because the times were different. The legend states that more male human babies were exchanged with changelings, and indeed, male children do have more birth defects, proven scientifically. They do, don't they? They do. Moreover, changelings are, are often described with features similar to birth defects like progeria and, as mentioned, autistic behaviors. What is progeria? It's, um, oh, it's really weird to explain that, but 
it's basically it's a birth defect disease where the body is aging rapidly faster than than like it should so those are the the cases that you've seen yeah pretty much and so usually body parts don't form right so they get like long pointy noses or their heads are really big because like their body is just aging rapid usually people with progeria don't survive past 10 years old is it pretty rare it's pretty rare okay some people even considered cases of suspected changelings to occur simply because a child is unhappy they're throwing too many tantrums must be a changeling so the prevention measures were pretty wild i covered a couple of them already yeah Uh, (laughs) and release it to the wolves yeah so in Sweden, it was believed that a fire must be kept lit in a room housing a child before it was christened, and furthermore, that the water used to bathe a child should not be thrown out, since both of these precautions will prevent the child from being taken by the trolls. I didn't get to cover that one up there. I ran out of room, apparently, at some point when I was making these notes. So, all right, let's talk alleged real-life cases. So King Charles I oh, of England... Oh, that guy from 1600 to 1649, was reportedly rumored to have been a changeling due to his peevish nature. So he was gay. (laughs) As a child. (laughs) And a nursemaid's claim that a figure appeared mysteriously at his bedside and cast a cloak over the sleeping baby's cradle. And so he was accused of being a changeling for his entire life. And y'all allowed him to be king. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, good on that that fairy. Good on him. So, children identified as changelings by the superstitious were often abused or murdered, you know, as we covered. Sometimes in the belief that the changeling could, for- to do it to force the changeling to admit their true nature. Uh, I mentioned before the Swedish idea of putting changeling babes into an oven. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's at least one documented case. <gasps> no. <laughs> They actually cooked their... A woman was taken to court and tried for murder after having killed her child by putting it in an oven. What year? I, there was no... It was no documented year, oh. but it said... Um, it was, like, pre-1700s, basically. Oh, okay. So in that general area. I would imagine lots of people would be doing dumb shit with their kids back then. Yeah. She, so she was taken to court, and she was tried for murder um, because, obviously, the baby was not... A changeling because it died. <laughs> it didn't disappear. Oh my god. That is, don't put your babies in ovens. Um, two. You get confused. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> Ask Just someone don't. first. Is, it, is my kid being weird or is it a changeling? Yeah. You like hold it out and you're like, what do I do with this? Does your kid do that? That's why you, you go to the park with all the other moms and you just discuss like what weird shit does your kid do and see if they line up yeah. or if they do weirder shit than your kid and you're like okay mine's the normal one so two 19th century cases reflected the belief in changelings in 1826 Anne Roche bathed Michael Lealy a four year old boy unable to speak or stand three times in the flesk which was a bath he drowned the third time she swore that she was merely attempting to drive the fairy out of him, and the jury acquitted her of murder. Are you fucking serious? Yeah, she was, it was, she was a nursemaid, and she was bathing him, and she kept putting him in the water and basically trying to drown him. And then the third time, he actually drowned. 
That was in 1826. Oh my god. So, shout out to Anne Roche for murdering a child. Uh, in the cases of adult changelings, there is a documented case. I mentioned... Or no, I didn't. I was supposed to, and then I didn't. In cases of adult changelings, in 1895, Bridget Cleary of Ireland was killed by several people, including her husband and cousins, after a short bout of illness suspected to be pneumonia. Local storyteller Jack Dune accused Bridget of being a fairy changeling. It is debatable whether her husband Michael actually believed her to be a fairy. Many believe that he concocted a fairy defense after murdering his wife in a fit of rage. The killers were convicted of manslaughter rather than murder, as even after the death, they claimed to be convinced that they had killed a changeling, not Bridget Cleary herself. The entire time that he was murdering her, he was apparently demanding to have his wife back. Uh, I don't believe him. They were newlyweds, too, by the way. Mm. Like, they were freshly married when all that happened. That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes, that is the changeling. That's the fucking changeling. That that's the changeling. I, honestly, that's a little more insane than I thought they actually were. Yeah, they're wild. I was honestly surprised. I knew that I wanted to do it because I had heard of them before. And I was like, oh, that might be a cool one to do. And uh, I was quite surprised, actually. Yeah. Didn't expect people to be putting their children into ovens. There's a lot of new, newer, nowadays, there's a lot of references actually going back to the idea of changelings. We've seen it before in, like, television. I think there's, I think there's a TV show, I can't remember who stars in it, but basically this girl, or this woman, has a daughter, raises the daughter, and then finds out through a doctor that her and her husband are both O and her daughter is A, uh, and she finds out that her that the nurse was drunk and switched her real daughter with this other kid that she had been raising as her daughter. And then, of course, we know the show Switched at Birth from ABC. There's a book series called World of Trill, which is the troll theory. And I want to say there's, like, one other. There's, um... I actually have in here, there was there's a Swedish tale... That was written in 1913, if I can find it. I read a book once kind of like that. Um, well, no, not like the story you just said, but like, of like these like fairy or troll things taking a kid. Um, it was called The Puddle Jumpers. I really liked that book. It was a really good book. I guess I technically Cruel Prince also could be considered that. I mean, Maddox just leans in and murders his wife and steals his daughter back and then takes I mean, Jude yeah, and Taryn. <laughs> like half changeling. Yeah. Because they go back to Elfheim. Aha. Uh-huh. And then they just don't want to leave. Whereas yeah. Vivi does leave. She's like, nah, fuck this shit. You murdered my mom. Like a real one. Yeah, she's like the only one who, like, remembers that apparently. Like, yeah. Um, oh, I found it. In a tale by Swedish children's author uh, Helena Nyblom, known as Borts by Tingarna, in the 1913 book Blantomtar, Troll, a princess is kidnapped by trolls and replaced with their own offspring against the wishes of the troll mother. 
The changeling grows up with their new parents, but both find it very hard to adapt. The human girl is disgusted by her future bridegroom, a troll prince, whereas the troll girl gets bored with her life and by her dull human groom. Upset with the conditions of their lives, they both go astray into the forest, passing each other without noticing it. I don't know how you don't notice that. Uh, the princess comes to the castle, whereupon the queen immediately recognizes her, and the troll girl finds her true mother, who is happy to see that her true daughter has returned. Both the human girl and the troll girl marry happily the very same day. Oh, that's cute. It is. It's a cute. It's a cute story. I had it up at the the top in case I wanted to mention it. I guess I never moved it down. But yeah. That's pretty interesting. There's a lot of room, I think, to work with a changeling. And then even nowadays, there's so many times, like, especially... Anything that, like, breathed weird was a changeling to them. Yeah. And even nowadays, if people are even just, like, a little bit off about their kid, they're like, "Mm, I don't think you're mine. And obviously, actually getting switched at birth is, that can totally happen. It's rare, but, like, it can happen. Does it happen with fairies? I don't know, but um, according to Ireland and Scotland, it happens quite often. A lot of kids actually in Ireland and Scotland, apparently, I say a lot of kids, it's like 2%, get put up for adoption because their parents think that they're changelings, even in modern day. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. That's wild. So yeah, that's the changeling. Some countries like that, not saying Ireland's like it, but there are some countries where like, they definitely still do not want autistic children in their societies. Yeah. Because they're just, I guess to them, they're like, it's too much work. And it's like, you just, you learn to work with them. Yeah. Don't force them to work with you. Yeah, I applaud all those parents, but I definitely could never have kids because, well, one, I don't even want fucking kids, but like, (laughs) I would not be a good parent to like, have to deal with something like that. I does not have them. Well, if I really want one, I'll buy it. <laughs> You'll buy it? Yeah. On the black market. Or, like, legally. No, there's, like, a shit ton of adoptable children. I know. I was trying to make a joke. The black market ones are probably, like, the worst. Mm. Those are the ones that need homes the most. They have them. <laughs> you take them and return them back. Reverse changeling. Here, have your kid back. I guess so. Well, but, yeah. That's nice. Um, should we close this out? Yeah, I guess we can. Well, thanks for listening. This has been Criminal. Slash Cryptid. Bye. Bye.